Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for today's block we call Motown Thrillers. All movies, of course, take place somewhere, but the location isn't always so identifiable. It doesn't always loom as large as it does in these movies. Today's block brings Detroit to life and showcases the Motor City as another one of the characters. A disgraced, deep-cover narc is given a chance to come back to the forest by investigating the death of a fellow undercover cop. He soon learns that no one wants the mystery solved. Not his partner, not the brass, not his wife, not the cop's widow. But will he be able to stop, or is he in too deep? Jason Patrick and Ray Liotta star in Joe Carnahan's Narc from 2002. Three home invaders plan one last score to break into the only inhabited house in a dead neighborhood. What seems like a simple smash and grab becomes a whole new nightmare. Jane Levy and Stephen Lang star in Fidi Alvarez's Don't Breathe from 2016. Three crooks who are perfect strangers are paid to babysit a family while the patriarch retrieves a secret MacGuffin. When the job goes wrong, the thieves come up with a new plan, but how far can they push it before they get caught or killed? Steven Soderbergh directs Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, Ray Liotta, Brendan Fraser, and a killer ensemble cast in 2021's No Sudden Move. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. Are you familiar with the Michael Calvis case? Uh, yes. He was murdered? Yes, I'm aware of that. This investigation, as you may or may not know, has stretched over 60 days and failed to produce any tangible evidence or yield a single suspect. It has not, however, deterred or diminished our efforts to apprehend and punish those responsible. Throughout your undercover stint, you maintained prolonged contact with the city's drug element. Would that be an accurate statement? I had some relationships. Is it fair to say, given your rather abrupt discharge from the ranks 18 months ago, that your cover in those contacts might remain intact. We feel that your presence in this investigation would be invaluable and would warrant complete reinstatement. Homicide division, detective grade. When the suspects are caught and charged and a verdict rendered, you would be eligible for the assignment of your choosing, commensurate to sentencing. No. I'm sorry? I'm not interested. 1837 Buena Vista Street. House is with your dad's security company, I already checked. Guy who owns it is an army vet loner. No family, just him in the house. That part of the city is a ghost town. It looks like a dump. That's actually good news. How's that good news? Well, story goes, some preppy girl a few years ago ran over this guy's daughter. Jesus. Daughter dies, and this preppy, rich-ass family pays him off. Gives him a big ass sediment. Sediment. Blow me your honor. All right? This guy is sitting on at least 300K. Boom! So what's the score? We're sending a man that works in an office to pick something up. You are part of a babysitting team watching his family while he does it. 
All right, welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I'm Brian Foster, and with me as always is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? How's it going? I wish I had something planned. I didn't have anything planned. <laughs> it's, always a, it's always a treat when you have something planned, <laughs> but even and when you always don't. always a disappointment. Oh. <laughs> no, never a disappointment. It's always more of the anticipation that something might happen, and no. if it doesn't, maybe <laughs> next time. <laughs> maybe next time, maybe never. So today's uh, episode, uh, we're going to be looking at Motown thrillers, films uh, set against the backdrop of Detroit. Uh, we've got some great films here to talk about. Narc from 2002, Don't Breathe from 2016, and No Sudden Move from a couple weeks ago, I think, from 2021. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our newest movie ever on this uh, podcast. I guess so. It, it, it's much closer to the time it was released is when we're doing this show. Um, yeah, and uh, these are all, uh, you know, movies about sort of the one last score. You know, it, that's a very typical thing in crime films and thrillers and things like that. But um, uh, it it's funny, I, I didn't think that was going to be the connective tissue with some of these. But uh, yeah, even even Narc had that. Yeah, uh, I was going to say. Jason like, Patrick character a little bit. Yeah. You know? He was just going to dip his toe in a little bit. He was going to read some files. <laughs> he's, he's doing like the Manhunter thing and he gets, he gets sucked in. <laughs> I feel like minus the comedy, this could have also been probably categorized under our buddy cop. Um, you know, if there was a laugh or t- maybe one laugh yeah. in this movie, but this is right. a real intense film. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's much closer to Forty Eight Hours than Lethal Weapon. Right. <laughs> and it's still miles away from from uh, Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, definitely. So uh, you you came up with this one. Um, did did this just come up as no sudden uh, move was was dropping and we could pair it up with a couple others or what, yeah, what I mean, this up? if i had known a lot more about no sudden move i so the thing is i, I was like okay it's the movie's out i want to see it i don't want to know anything about it i just want to kind of go in as cold as possible the only thing i did know is that it was a period piece taking place in uh detroit and if i had known or if, if i had seen it beforehand i probably would have paired this with like snatch and way yeah. of the gun Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, both of them are, you know, uh, kind of ensemble crime films um, where, you know, we're not really following one character in particular necessarily. Um, maybe in the case of Snatch, uh, we're talking about maybe more so of the uh, Jason Statham character sure. as, as the lead. But And I guess in all three, uh, Benicio Del Toro is in, the, in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think... Like those three would be a really fun pairing as like, you know, okay, here's one that's only fun and funny. Here's one that's kind of severe and, you know, sort of philosophical. And here's something kind of in between. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, no sudden move was the one in between? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's like, you know, it has a little little something to chew on, but it's, it's you know, has an emphasis on sort of like funny moments and right. like thrilling moments and things like that. Yeah. But the idea was that like, okay, no sudden move is kind of a it's a thriller it's uh it's there for fun and it would be cool to kind of like have uh that go through a a list of movies in in detroit and that are also along those lines and uh as we often find that we're reaching really far back in time uh and uh certain people seem to like uh um have this 
impression that we only do old movies. Okay, fine. We'll, we'll do movies from the 21st century. I mean, Narc All is three of them. Almost 20 years old. But yeah, like, that one just but made the still. cut. <laughs> it was still in the 2000s, okay? Narc, for being a, an early 2000 film, still felt like a 90s film to oh, me. Oh, Your yeah. text, it, yeah, was, yeah. It, was like a, it felt like a 90s music video. Uh, right, especially right, how it was right. cut. They just started getting motion graphics and <laughs> all these things started happening in video and they used them all. Yeah. You know? Still a fantastic movie. Yeah, exactly. And they, they, there's a lot of those like like quick cuts away to like flashbacks of when Jason Patrick was uh, a junkie and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Which they which they only like hinted at quite a bit. And they did a really good job of showing that uh, past of his. Uh, he, he's a narcotics agent for anyone that hasn't mm-hmm. seen the film. Um and he clearly has a past of working in some pretty bad situations uh, where he mm-hmm. had to, you know, get down and, and be a real undercover cop and do the drugs, um, which right. actually, you know, fits into the storyline with uh, the, the cop that we're trying to find out who murdered him, um, which is, you know, a big twist by the end. Um, but he also fell into it pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's so complicated. Yeah, exactly. It it is pretty complicated. I I'd say no sudden move uh, has more layers than than any of these films. Uh, with mm. you know maybe don't breathe being <laughs> the thinnest. Yeah, <laughs> of of layers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and but part of the thing was to like kind of like um, look at okay, so you know they're all going to be kind of thrillers in a way. Uh, but then also just like, you know, how they approach the city. And in two out of the three cases, they were filmed, I think, exclusively in Detroit. Uh, with NARC, they filmed some of it in Detroit and some of it in, like, Toronto. Um, but, um, you know, uh, okay, it still managed to sort of capture that really freezing, icy, you know, awful deathly cold you know canadian winds uh winter in uh that uh the city of detroit seems to get every winter detroit yes <laughs> yeah i mean it's that midwest uh winter man that is probably one of the grayest and i i always like compare it to like everything turning to stone for a while and it's just yeah that cold yeah. like well, because it's so frozen cold, it's like yeah. everything's hard. I mean, it, it's 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 like it's it is very much like that's a great way to put it. I mean, yeah. it's uh, but you know, it, especially in this movie in, in Narc, uh, yeah. you can really, 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 really feel the cold. Like it's it's in your bones as you're watching. This movie opens um, with one of the most intense uh, chases I've ever seen. It felt uh, half documentary and half like extremely great cinema, you know, like all in one. Mm-hmm. Um, they, yeah. they did a great job. And Jason Patrick takes out this guy at the beginning who's putting hot doses in people's necks on, on the way in this chase. And it's right. just like the camera guy just catches a glimpse of this guy like choking on his own vomit or something. But by the time right. he's dead, the, man. The gurgling noise is oh, it's so <laughs> Talk about like a like a wake up call when you yeah. when you when you start the movie. It's just yeah. like what is going on? Holy shit! We didn't. I didn't blink for the entire time after that scene. Like the whole movie just kind of takes off after that too. Not many. Yeah. Not many dips in this one in terms of intensity. Um, and when they are, they're still pretty hard scenes to watch, but very well done. And Jason Patrick is now in the rotation. I, I never I never <laughs> saw this film when it came out, and he's in Lost Boys. He's in this. 
And I was oh. trying to think of the other movie he was in um, with De Niro, and it's about the kids. Uh, oh, that... uh, uh, Sleepers. Oh, uh, Sleepers, exactly, with Kevin Sleepers. Bacon. Yeah, Sleepers, yeah, exactly. He, he was in that, right? I mean, yeah. like these are those repeatable watches at any time. If they're on TV. He also uh, played uh, Keanu Reeves in Speed 2. He, Cruise Control. That's right. <laughs> but he didn't play Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. But yeah. <laughs> he definitely took the place of him, though. <laughs> you watch me, I'll watch the boat. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie, okay, it's it's 2002. But, you know, like we have talked about before, like the um, a decade doesn't end uh, neatly when, right. uh, when, when mathematically it's over. Uh, and this definitely still feels like the '90s. <laughs> yeah, especially because you know, watching it again, like okay, you could definitely see a lot of the influence that uh, perhaps Steven Soderbergh had on uh, Joe Carnahan, the writer director of this movie, with a lot of that that opening scene, sort of how how that kind of went down. Like the way I was kind of like describing it to someone the other day was that like it feels like if Michael Mann tried to make a steven soderbergh movie <laughs> it's like yeah it, it or 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 maybe vice versa if steven soderbergh was trying to make a michael mann movie um because you know it has a lot of that michael mann uh you know sort of brooding character moments um a lot of the sort of disorienting non-linear editing that was happening in this where we'd be kind of just jumping around in time like the opening scene you're just talking about like kind of cut in between some of those moments of real intensity where he's running and you know chasing the the i don't know what he was the, the guy with the hot doses or whatever Head junkie yeah we keep seeing uh jason patrick sitting on a bench and you know looking sort of hollowed out and, and messed up and it's not sort of revealed until later like what he was doing there and you know th- and that was you know later on in, in this story that we we see later on but like at that moment, like you, you're kind of like you don't know what you're cutting to, and it's like you think he's thinking about this moment. Maybe he is, and it's like the story actually kind of like maybe starts where he's on that bench and he's trying to put it all together, and we're watching him think about all these these moments. So that that very much felt like the limey, where it's like you know we keep cutting back to uh, Terrence Stamp in the in the airplane reliving his L.A. adventures. Mm. What was so great about that uh, that scene at the bench was, was uh like you know it gets to that point where it seemed or at least the department wanted to say this case is over right. pin it on this guy who got blown away and um nice and clean nice and clean you know yeah they can wipe their hands of it and mm-hmm. uh move on he didn't do it i don't know if you're not listening or you don't want to listen but he didn't do it well, we've compiled enough evidence to support the contract. What? And what does that mean? What evidence? What? It means we're closing it out. Captain, there's absolutely no way that Chef's killed Calves. And if you're closing because of that, you're way off. Neither one of us believed that he did it. He didn't have the balls to do this. He didn't have the capabilities. He didn't have the cold blood. This guy did not do it. And yet he had no compunction when faced with possible arrest about trying to kill both of you. They're like, well, this, is, this isn't it. These pieces of the puzzle don't fit. Da-da-da-da. And he's sitting there, like, puzzling this whole thing over. You know, everything's kind of falling apart. It was also after his wife uh, gave him that, like, sort of ultimatum, like, uh, you got to get out of there, which also kind of, like, had that, <laughs> very much had that uh, that Manhunter feel, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like they, they had a, a lot of those scenes in, in Manhunter as well. But, you know, 
he's sitting there sort of like contemplating this thing and in behind him on the bench is Detroit and in front of him across the river is Windsor Canada right it's like it's like it's it's always like funny how, how close that is to Canada right right and two very very different places yeah yeah exactly and, <laughs> and just like just staring across that border and like you know you, you can also kind of like feel how uh you know perhaps uh he's uh you know, you know, dreaming of uh, greener pastures over there and, right. and that kind of thing. And like, you know, maybe we'll just uh, pull up stakes and uh, <laughs> move across the border. Who knows? I love you. I do. With everything that I am, I'm still going to leave. Because I can't be with you like this. Structurally speaking, it, it's really interesting how the movie is put together. I think uh, it was it was like Dan, uh, John Gilroy who edited this one, and he's like one of the the Gilroy brothers, like Tony and uh, and Dan Gilroy, right? Are uh, the other two? It's this like, I don't know. Well, like you know, one of them, you know, wrote one of the Gilroy brothers wrote uh, a lot of the um, the Jason Bourne movies. Oh um, wow! And. Uh, Tony Gilroy, uh, he uh, did like Michael Clayton and wrote all the the Bourne movies. I think he wow, wrote very the successful writer. New, uh, newish like the the Rogue One thing, the like prequel oh, to Star Wars. The only good uh, Star Wars film that came out in the last uh, <laughs> ten years. Probably the closest thing to a good one. Uh, I, yeah, I'd have to see it again. I, I think. Um, but then you know, his other brother Dan Gilroy, you know, did uh, Nightcrawler. Oh that, yeah, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. It's a great movie. Um, he he was an editor on that. You mean Tony w- was was writing all those movies with Star Wars and Jason Bourne and all this. And Dan Dan uh, was I think writing and directing wow. uh, Nightcrawler, and you know uh, Roman J Israel Esquire the, that kind of thing and Velvet Buzzsaw. But Dan was the editor on sort of all those movies. <laughs> wow, uh, in- including this one, uh, Narc. So. This guy, quite a, quite an artist. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that Velvet buzz, Velvet Buzzsaw, right? I haven't seen that mm-hmm. one. That one looked really interesting to me. It, it did fall in line uh, with the tone that Nightcrawler uh, kind of delivered. Yeah, creepy. Yeah, it it it's, it seemed interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even though you know all these things were sort of done masterfully, I feel like a lot of them were um, very much inspired by the Limey and like and the way that that movie was put together and how just. Um, you know, it was a a thriller and a revenge movie. It was kind of like uh, Get Carter, mm-hmm. uh, but with sort of like an unconventional resolution to everything. Yeah. Um, you know, had some interesting themes and things to chew on. And this movie kind of had a, a little bit of that in here uh, where it's like there, it's part thriller, but also has a lot of like uh, character work and things to chew on. I mean... I thought it was also a mystery. I thought it uh, had uh, yeah. elements of that. Totally. I mean, like, and, and then as it's like revealed at the end there, yeah. uh, by Busta Rhymes, that like yeah. the reason that uh, the opening was as intense as it was, and you know, Jason Patrick chasing after the the hot dose junkie, um, was because the uh, Calves or whatever like uh, gave him up. They, they made him. Yeah. 
So, you know, I, I kind of forgot about that uh, that detail, but it was a really cool like way to tie all that together. Yeah, tied everything together. Yeah. Um, I, I love this movie because it, it kind of pulls the rug out from under you quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Two in places in particular, uh, one of them was when they, they found that fella who had uh, had his head blown off in the bathtub. Oh, and they yes. go through this entire investigation, like, who the hell came in here and blew this guy away? And the resolution to that one was the guy did it on accident. He was trying to smoke crack through a fucking shotgun. When 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 Ray Liotta hears that resolution from Jason yeah, Patrick yeah. and he starts laughing out loud, yeah. I started laughing too. But it was more like I was just nervous. Right, and it's like the relief. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That was probably the only bit of relief I got in that movie. Really, was when oh, totally <laughs> when he does the Ray Liotta laugh. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. Uh, I'm stretching here, but. Uh... No, an old Leo. I think maybe he was high out of his fucking mind. Reaches for the bong. Goes down, breaks. His lazy ass is not getting out of this warm water, so uh, he sees the gauge, maybe, and uh, takes a little green bud, decides to pop it in the breach, fires it up, starts toking away, forgets there's a shell in the pipe, flame hits a fire cap. <laughs> That's beautiful. Okay, so so Ray Liotta obviously kind of like ties Narc and No Sudden Move together in a way. Yeah. Um, in a sort of unexpected way. I, I didn't realize he was in... I didn't realize the cast was as insane as it was for No Sudden Move. Awesome, yeah. Sticking with this one for a second, like, you know, I, I, I was telling you uh, right after you finished Narc the other day, I, I feel like this is Ray Liotta's best performance. I mean, obviously, you know, Goodfellas um, is amazing and he's amazing in it. Uh, but I, I think he tops himself with this one, just performance-wise. Especially when we're talking about the last, like, 40 minutes or so of the movie. Good, Goodfellas is put pitting him with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci in some of in one of his yeah. best performances, if not the. <laughs> um, you know, like, there's, there's a lot going on. This one was really, he got to shine. And I think, even though Jason Patrick and he shared the, you know, the screen time, very split mm-hmm. down the middle between the two of them, it feels like Jason Patrick really let him be Ray Liotta and do his thing because he, he was a very subdued character, and I'm sure that worked for Patrick's character, Telus's character, because he was a... I don't know, man. He was just damaged. He was just trying to keep it together at all times in this movie mm-hmm. and, and his family together and everything, but he really did kind of stay off and let Ray Liotta just really steal it in in some in some cases. And they, they had... You know, there were obviously, like, big moments of intensity or lots of like sort of screaming and going crazy. And then there's a lot of like moments of like stillness too. the, what really happened in the tunnel story. You get three different versions of it. Performance there. What was amazing as well. And and, and as well as like his like sort of last breath moments, like you're talking about, like, like you would see the, uh, the breath come out and yeah. Yeah. It was so clear that there was the breath there, and it was it was very obvious that the camera was was right on that. Right, they wanted you to see that, and then there was a very like methodical breath from coming from Ray Liotta, and then there uh-huh. wasn't one, and they held on it. And I was like, "Oh shit, that was just right. great direction," <laughs> you know, like everything just worked out there, and it was so powerful. Your entire life. 
this movie, Narc, was you know produced by Tom Cruise and his uh, producing partner, yeah. whose name I'm, Cruise uh, Wagner. Yeah, yeah, Wagner. And apparently, Joe Carnahan was on on board to do Mission Impossible Three, but uh, I guess that that uh, it didn't work out, creative differences wise and whatever. And maybe he wanted to make uh, Mission Damn. Impossible, you know, a lot more gritty, like Narc or something. But <laughs> who knows? Yeah, that could have been awesome. Uh, but but this one kind of felt like. It was his audition to do some James Elroy stuff, which he was tied uh, or, or slated to do uh, White Jazz for a long time, which is, you know, James Elroy's follow-up book to LA Confidential. Um, and it was like, for the longest time, it seemed like Carnahan was developing that. Uh, it, it was like for like 10 years or something, and then it, it kind of went away. Uh, just, you know, one of those things that just couldn't, couldn't get green light. Development yeah, exactly. hell. Couldn't get the green light. That stuff makes me so upset when you, <laughs> when you see these great directors attached to these amazing projects and you're like, yeah. where is it? How could that not get made? But, right, exactly. you know, Sharknado is on its like seventh iteration. <laughs> well, uh, because Sharknado is a lot more fun and, uh, you know, who, who, who wants and to no do risk? <laughs> like, so, you know, Narc was what, like, you know, six, $7 million. Um, and you know, white jazz would, would would be you know ten times that uh, if not more. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you gonna do again? And and there's, there's gonna be you know what kind of uh you know insane relent unrelenting violence is gonna be in this? And uh, wait, the, the character's not gonna like only rated R. Yeah, you're like you're yeah. like narrowing the audience down, and people with the money people are just wait like a wait. Second, wait a second, yeah, exactly. Like this isn't gonna be fun at all. Oh no no not at all. No no no. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> well, maybe we won't do that. Which, incidentally, I think is why our, the why, and I, I'm not trying to jump to the next movie, but why I think Don't Breathe was so successful. They they brought it down to a PG-13 level, so their audience was huge for that. Oh, movie, was it PG-13? And it made a ton of money. I I guess now that yeah. I'm thinking about it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of explicit violence. Yeah. He, Fidi Alvarez does violence in this one without any without much blood. When you'd think that there should be a, a big paint splatter against yeah. the wall, there's really nothing that happens other than the fluttering of a lip or something. The, yeah, the first guy, I guess it was kind of gross, mm-hmm. but like money. But maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe yeah, you're right. I, I guess for for a movie that was at least marketed and kind of like built around the horror genre, uh, yeah, it the guy that just remade Evil Dead and Evil, and he he did it with about you know a thousand gallons of blood you know like he didn't hold back in that one oh okay (laughs) that might be one to watch a remake uh episode of you know some some remakes that are actually looked at as being decent yeah okay yeah no that'll be good i i mean one last uh close out on on narc i mean a couple things like you know uh mention the michael mann thing but like you know there's a lot of like uh it feels like there's a lot of influence from manhunter uh but definitely also heat uh, as as you're totally aware, uh, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. No, let me, let me let me get right on this. Let me yeah. see if I agree with you. Yeah. Um, but uh, one one thing that I I hope you did notice, and because when I when I was watching it, it was it was uh, really startling. I had forgotten about this music cue. So another reason it, it kind of feels like a Steven Soderbergh movie is because uh, Steven Soderbergh's long uh, time collaborator Cliff Martinez did the music on this one, and there's a lot of cues that you know definitely had that that sound that you know one associates with movies like you know traffic and whatever however uh one of the cues like you know sort of right after one of the big fights between jason patrick and his wife 
with, with the baby and they're like, you know, they're sitting on the couch, the, the camera's in the other room kind of looking down the hallway. We cut yeah. to the outside of a police precinct and Jason Patrick's kind of rolling up in the cold and, and walking into this place. Not only does that building look like the precinct in Precinct 13, uh, Assault on Precinct 13, uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. but the score sounds like John Carpenter so much right there. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to yeah. re-listen well, to that. You're hearing it on the soundtrack right now, so you can just nod along and go, oh, yeah, you're right, Jeremy. Oh, yeah, yeah there it is. <laughs> you, you hear how that the, 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 the bass line is very much like... <laughs> Like assault. Good thing yeah. you've got cues to line up to. <laughs> no, but it, it, it was really surprising because it's like you know, you know, normally the the Cliff Martinez. Uh, I, I feel like the signature sound for him is that kind of like very ethereal, very you know, moody. Um, uh, Which this also had noise, and, and it definitely has that. But like, but the sort of main theme to Narc, uh, which is for me mostly noticeable in this moment. Or, or I should say most notable in this moment, uh, was felt like it, it could have been composed by said John Carpenter. I'm telling you, I want John Carpenter to score every movie. <laughs> yeah. Or or have uh, have Ennio Morricone do a John Carpenter impression, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, well, speaking of horror movies, I guess we can move on to Don't Breathe. Interesting. Like, I think you already brought up one of the points I wanted to bring up. Is this a horror movie? Right. You know, I, I think, I think it, I think it is. Um, I think in terms of a thriller, it, it also, but I think a lot of horror and thrillers kind of mm-hmm. do go hand in hand. You know, they they have a lot of similar similar qualities. Uh, but this one, yeah, I was questioning whether or not that this was a horror film or kind of like a, a home alone, uh, <laughs> you know, a home invasion, yeah. uh, a film, a much darker um, home yeah, alone, right? It, it, yeah, Kevin's exactly. an adult now. And, uh, <laughs> Kevin has grown up and, and he, moved a, outside of beautiful <laughs> Chicago land to Detroit. Yeah. Kevin got a taste for blood when he was nine. So <laughs> I was very, I was excited to see this cause this was one of those that I didn't get to see in the theater so long ago. Um, but it, 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 it was definitely interesting. It flew by. It felt like a really quick mm-hmm. watch, almost like it was one quick sequence. Yeah. Um, and really, I guess most of the movie is in, in, in a lot of ways. It's funny. Yeah. You're right. It, it's, it's according to this, it's 88 minutes, but I, it, it felt a lot yeah. shorter. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it ran, uh, quick. Um, and it was off the get from the get go, you know, very quick. Um, but it was, it was just kind of this group of like people that wouldn't normally get along. Like this is why some, sometimes I'm taken out of movies like this, mm-hmm. this, this trio of, of, robbers of of house thieves um you know one of them is this the brainiac right that knows exactly what you're not supposed to do you don't bring a gun to it you know you set off the alarm when you leave and all this stuff you get the keys from your dad who's running the security Mm -hmm. uh for this town um and then you've got the one guy who's on the other end of it completely just a total gangster if you will Mm -hmm. that is ready to just blow somebody away get a little of that uh johnny boy uh mean streets energy you know exactly yeah who's who's always because like he as they were robbing that first place, he started just breaking stuff on the ground for no reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I, he was just making all this noise. And I'm like, Jesus, like this, these two would never hang out. They would probably never agree. So that kind of took me out of it from the beginning. But overall, you get like a good swath of characters, mm-hmm. you know. And then with Jane Levy's character, who I think she was also in the uh, Evil Dead movie. Oh, really? <laughs> um, she, Yeah, I think she plays Ash. 
um, or Ashley oh, in this one. <laughs> but but funny. since she was in that, she's the only she's the one we're following in this. She's the one that has the motivation and all that. And I, I thought that she was actually a decent character. And I think that this movie would have worked with just her. I don't mm-hmm. think she needed two other people with her, um, and I think it would have been. Well, a... she, she needed other people to like, you know, get killed off before to get her. killed. Yeah, exactly. To yeah. go through, go to through be the... human <laughs> human shields yeah. <laughs> to, to go through the house of horrors. Uh, but Stephen Lang, man, that guy, yeah. uh, that dude put on some muscle. Dude, okay. for this movie, man. <laughs> Speaking of fucking Manhunter, he was the like the the sleazy yeah. tabloid reporter in that transformed into like. Uh, <laughs> In, into the like, you know, uh, the, the grizzled general or whatever he was in uh, in, uh, in Avatar, and, yeah. and he, he's got a little of that. They're like, oh, give me the guy from Avatar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's funny because like the very opening, the three kids are robbing this you know fancy house somewhere in uh, in 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 D- Detroit suburbs. It very much looks and feels like the. Uh, Sophia Coppola uh, bling ring and it, it's funny because it, it kind of starts off bling ring and ends up like people under the stairs <laughs> okay alright it does go into people under the stairs realm doesn't it especially when they're like crawling in between like the walls and whatever I, I, I definitely yeah. got a little uh, Wes Craven uh, feel in this one I mean what you think is a pretty straightforward thing where this guy is just uh, protecting his home you know this Iraq veteran who lost his eyesight at one point Mm -hmm. but still can definitely use his other senses quite well almost like Rutger Hauer in um, Blind (laughs) Fury well a a little inconsistently because at one point he can't smell something and at another point he can smell boots across the room or whatever but anyway (laughs) I guess we can delve into the writing yeah for sure (laughs) Um, but but it, it is straightforward until all of a sudden you find out that there is another person that is pregnant and l- chained to the basement with all these mattresses around her where she's basically waiting for nine months to give birth to a replacement daughter for this guy <laughs> who was originally killed by that same woman right. uh, in a dr- drunk driving accident or something. Um, yeah, it's it, it's very like a James Bond villain plan uh, there. It's like especially with his turkey baster full of sperm <laughs> right. that he keeps in the that he keeps in the fridge. It this movie took like a drastic turn, <laughs> like into the into the weird. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> Not a rapist. I never forced myself on her. Stop. I promised I would set her free just as soon as she gave me a child. Now she's gone. But I'm done waiting. If you sort of forgive the plot armor that everyone seems to have at different times where it's like, oh, all of a sudden he can smell and, you know, 10 seconds before that he couldn't smell when the guy was, you know, you know, you could feel that person's breath on you. They're standing that close in the hallway. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's nose to nose. Yeah. Despite some of that stuff, if if you're just kind of like, and like, you know, okay, the, did the knockout gas not work on him or something? It's like No, it didn't, yeah. Or, you know, did he have the antidote? Is it a bad batch? Like, it was just, you know, okay, it just it didn't Is work. Is it because he doesn't smell? Not that he can't smell, it's that he doesn't inhale, so that the gas never made it inside of him? Aha! Ah, he doesn't have to breathe, you see? <laughs> Ding! <laughs> he doesn't breathe. <laughs> It turns out he's a fish. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because, like, you know, okay. Aside from uh, some of that stuff, that was like, frankly, a little distracting because 
I'm sitting there like wondering, like, well, how did that happen? Are they going to solve that mystery? No, they're just going to gloss it over. But when shit starts hitting the fan, like, I feel like a lot of the escalation of, of uh, are they going to be able to get out of the house? Are they going to be able to get out of the house? Was done in, in, a, in, a, in a sort of a fun way. Yeah. I think right around the time that you're talking about where it's like they're, they're saving the, uh, the kidnapped woman who's like, you know, chained up in the, in the um, you know, it rubs the lotion on its skin room. Exactly, um, yeah. Buffalo Bill's basement. Yeah. <laughs> and they're getting out of the house, and, you know, the blind guy just starts shooting at him, and he, he plugs the plugs his kidnapped victim. Right. We didn't know she was pregnant until afterwards, or he said she was, and, you know, who, who knows if that's Because he got a little bit or, upset or for, yeah, <laughs> yeah killing, killing his hostage. You, didn't, you wouldn't think he'd get that upset about yeah. it, especially because... We had already found out that that woman was the one that killed his daughter. And so mm-hmm. you're like, why is he, you know, why is he crying over this? Well, because, you know, part of it is, he, I, I mean, I, what I assumed at that moment before I knew what the mm-hmm. pregnant thing was like that he, you know, was upset that he wouldn't be able to pull the wings off the fly anymore and we wouldn't be able to torture, you know, and oh, keep that's, exacting that's his reading. revenge. Okay. It's like, no. He was I a wanted, torturer. To keep, yeah, I mean, whether it's like psychological or physical, uh, he's he's definitely torturing this person. Oh, he he's a torturer. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mean to oh, say he okay. wasn't, but yeah, I meant physical torturer. Yeah, yeah I, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I <laughs> definitely, you know, like I'm done. <laughs> I definitely saw the psychological trauma yeah, that this yeah. woman probably went through. Right, right. I get it. <laughs> oh, oh, you watched the movie? Yeah. <laughs> Him coming downstairs unexpectedly uh, through um, what, what, what do you call it? Like the infrared uh, scene. Yeah, when, when the can when when everything changed to that uh, infrared. Yeah, basically through that segment, uh, I was you know pretty locked in on the movie, and it, it felt like it was really uh, you know coming together pretty well. Then you, you start getting into, into some stuff that like. Uh, feels like yeah people are surviving because of plot armor or whatever right. and it just like it it, it it was surprising but not like thrilling you know what i'm saying it's like okay he, yeah. he the blind guy you know stabs that thing you're like oh well i guess that guy's dead and it turns out nope it was the other guy he was already dead yeah exactly <laughs> money took another uh, <laughs> shot to the chest right, there right. Yeah. uh or like you know how the blind guys like aim just like it was like perfect when uh, when Alex or whatever his name was opened the door, uh, but like you know, I think he got a neck shot yeah. on that one, <laughs> right? But you know, it was interesting because like you, you get out of the you know uh, Rocky the, uh, the Jane Levy character gets out of the house, you're like okay, show's over, uh, she's out of there, <laughs> and then like it turns Send into the dog. turns into Cujo, uh, <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, the, the, everything from the spit on the door uh, or the window of the door and the passenger side window, like the dog a- against it, that all was oh, absolute yeah. Cujo. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm sure there were certain shots with the dog where it was also a puppet dog like uh, the Cujo, Cujo dog was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They just kind of send him in from camera right. <laughs> it, was, uh, uh, it was the insult comic dog. What was, what was the name of oh, it? Triumph. Triumph. Yeah. Triumph. <laughs> Yeah, there's a little triumph. Uh, for me to poop yeah, on. There's a little for me to poop on action going there. 
okay, her escape to California, I thought was was kind of a a fun way to wrap it up, uh, especially because it turns out, ooh, he's he's not gone, and uh, all that, uh, which also feels like a lot like plot armor. It's like, wait, how did he survive? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you got to set up the sequel when you're when you're expecting to make 158 million dollars <laughs> yeah, right. on a on a picture that you spent 10 on. Um, but the, there were some details in that that were pretty neat. Is that you know the the news anchor when delivering that story uh, over that you know what Jane Levy was watching on the news was, yep, he took out the two intruders mm-hmm. that were in his house. Right. Never mentions the money or anything like that. So it also gives him a little bit of motivation for yeah. to exact revenge on. Uh, Jane Rocky and and they also didn't find oh the body of the girl he had kidnapped because wh- what did he do with the secret of the ooze he, he put like tar sands all over her or something like it was burying her in the foundation of the house I think that's exactly what it was yeah so he had like un- unrefined oil uh, in the, the it's Detroit man far out <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by the way, I, I know that there are some areas of Detroit where it's probably less populous than others. However, this area that they were in, they could get away with literal murder on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and you brought up the you know the, the Cujo scene at the end. That's a mm-hmm. good one because they're outside the entire time and there's a lot of noise. But the very beginning of the movie, you know, you mentioned that the beginning of the movie was, the, you know, we meet the three robbers. However, we there's a scene before that when... We we meet Stephen Lang right away, dragging a body. Yeah, it's like the hills have eyes uh, <laughs> opening. To the I'm movie. assuming that's the girl he had locked in the basement. No, it, but yeah, go ahead. But might be Jane Levy, I, I, right? Like it's later on. In I think time. it was supposed to be a cold open of of that later scene of him dragging Jane Levy by her hair through the streets. Uh, I can't wait to see what this sequel is going to bring because the sequel comes out literally in August. Oh, okay. and so. Yeah, so we actually got this one at a good time, too, uh, incidentally. (laughs) Again, (laughs) we just kind of fall into this shit. It's great. Um, But the sequel, I I saw the preview of it, and he's training a daughter figure. So I'm assuming that he might have done the thing with Jane Levy, had a daughter, her daughter, and now he's training her to to protect the house. Phil, the gun is in my hand. Sorry. I'll make it next time. It's interesting because you know the movie's uh, the movie's pretty fun and um, at at, mm-hmm. at certain points, I feel like you know there were a lot of moments where you're really um, or at least I am asking all these questions about like oh are they gonna have that be revealed that he you know has the antidote to the knockout gas or or whatever all, all these little things where it's like <laughs> by the end of the movie you're <laughs> still stuck on the like, knockout well, gas get out of the knockout <laughs> gas yeah like. It, it, it's, it's not that he's alive for, for like what doesn't seem like a realistic scenario. I mean, it's like even when the guy smashed him on the head with a hammer, <laughs> smashed the hammer so hard that you know, yeah. blood flew across the room and hit, uh, you know, Rocky in the face, the Jane Levy character. In yeah. The face. And he also took a, a whole turkey baster in the mouth full of sperm. <laughs> that was like then jammed that... like a railroad spike down his neck. <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> brutal i was like oh i just for once i felt i felt for him right. you know like i was like oh god dude i'm sorry i'm so sorry that well, happened and then they uh, handcuff him they leave him but then it's like it's like what did he like chew off his own arm like a beaver in a trap like like how did he like how did he get out of that yeah they should have set up maybe that he could get out of uh 
handcuffs at some point, right? It's Houdini. It's like... Well, Houdini had to hold his breath when he was held underwater while being chained up. So I think we're on to something here. He, he sleeps yeah. by holding his breath. <laughs> there, there were uh, several moments where we have... Um, Especially during the infrared thing, where he's like, you know, reaching through that shelf and and just just that yeah. kind of like, uh, you know, kind of marble sculpture that infrared turns a face into made his, his eyes. eyes really scary in particular. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, okay, obviously a lot of that's the makeup, but also the effect that that uh, spectrum of vision has on somebody. It's it's very sort of flattening. It flattens in it a way. all. Yeah. But you can also see this like texture, but it's not like black and white. It, it's it's very odd, and his mm-hmm. face in particular was 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 uh, very uncanny at that moment. It was, it was pretty scary as a uh, as a sort of horror image. He's a unique looking dude. <laughs> I, I wish he would have. He was up to play, or at least he had had expressed interest in playing uh, Cable in the Deadpool movie, and I would have oh, loved to right see on. him as Cable. I, I like Josh Brolin, but I think he would have been a cool Cable. You know, an older. Right, uh, right, more right. grizzled veteran. Yeah, that's true. He, he yeah. kind of has that that look. You're right, especially in the like Avatar era, where he's pretty jacked up. He he know. was my favorite part of Avatar. Avatar is not my favorite movie uh, by far. <laughs> no, uh, I don't think it's a best picture uh, by any means. Um, but I do think he was great in it, and he he made the movie super fun. Especially when he basically pulled out his best Ripley impression and went and got in his own <laughs> mech, you know, by the end. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was about just that. great. There's low gravity. It'll make you soft. You get soft. Pandora will shit you out dead with zero warning. So overall, did you did you dig that movie? I mean, you, don't, it, was, don't it was fun, right? You could yeah, you could see the fun in that one. Um, especially, I think that guy can direct a, 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 a some serious, scary stuff even when he's not um you know beholden to a lot of gore mm-hmm. and i still think that I, it was it was very fun and thrilling. yeah that, that, that's a good point i a lot of that stuff was was the the part that i was engaged with i i think you know like like i were talking about earlier it's like i started to lose interest toward the end uh when you know th- things just seemed to be totally random you know the love triangle wasn't working for me either in the beginning uh but sort of you know the the sort of second act i think really kind yeah. of uh, held my attention and it was a lot of fun. Let's move on to uh, the directed by, the shot by, the edited by <laughs> Steven Soderbergh right. film, uh, No Sudden Move. Yeah. Uh, it, was it also cast by? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. yeah he, he's, he was uh, going for a little, uh, you know, John Carpenter action here, <laughs> like uh, having his name uh, <laughs> all over the credits. So I guess he, he changed it, right? It's like, Peter Andrews is the cinematographer. Yeah. Or it's like John Carpenter would do the Martin Quartermass and some of that stuff. So right. like, it wouldn't seem like he was doing everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like uh, Soderbergh did a lot of this movie, um, at least from based on the credits. But like you said, this is uh, a, this is a very Soderbergh film, I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, ensemble cast. The cast was incredibly great yeah. um, in this. And it just... The hits kept on coming, you know. John Hamm popping up in this, I thought was was excellent. Yeah. Bill Duke and come on, when Brendan Fraser. Okay, I gotta say he is really really good in this. He is okay. So that was the thing is like, you know, I think he, you know, he went from you know leading man scrawny at George of the Jungle, uh, you know, um, 
Mummy. Mummy. Yes, thank you. And I feel like, you know, at one point he kind of disappeared uh, from public view. Um, And then started coming back in the past year or so. This is the first movie I think I've seen him in in a long time. Several, uh, at least a decade. Long time. But, man, he really, really plays this character really well. It's like, you know, this uh, sort of, even though I feel like maybe you don't know a whole lot about him, he's like essentially like a bag man for local mobsters. But you, you kind of get this sense that, okay, maybe he was, uh, you know, a, a disgraced police officer who's now uh, doing this thing. And, you know, he's got a little of that attitude. And that character actor um, role, you know, was really sort of played masterfully by him. You know, he, you really felt like his yeah. uh, the sort of scruffy, like, uh, Lieutenant Eggcart uh, type of <laughs> character. <laughs> That's a good one, yeah. Yeah. What, what does he say to him? It's like, uh, it's like Eckhart, think of the future. You ain't got no future, Jack. <laughs> you an A1 nut boy, and Grissom knows it. Better be sure. Yeah, so he, he's, got, he's definitely got some Eckhart, uh, uh, you know, energy in this one. Yeah, I, especially the outfit, right? Because it was... It was that same trench and the same same fedora, and he's always in the same exact clothes throughout the entire. Every time he pops up in the movie, it's the same suit. Right, exactly. Like he sleeps in those clothes, exactly. <laughs> he he also reminded me of the lawyer from um, Usual Suspects because he oh, kind of gave him the mission. Okay. You know, he, yeah. he he's the one that recruited them together. Definitely not as refined or as uh, world wise and smart or whatever. Yeah, no. Definitely a, a sense of like. Um, Oh, what is it called? Like, uh, you know, it's like overconfidence in 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 what's happening. But um, <laughs> that may be uh, Pete Postlewaite had in that movie. Yeah, yeah. C- casting wise, I think we're pretty solid all the way around. The, the one uh, uh, like uh, chink in the armor or uh, you know slash on the pot for me was Kieran Culkin. Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to say yeah, that. I, I just like his thing. Like it was definitely one of the things that like kind of took me out of that era. I mean, oh like, sure, like he, yeah. He was he was good in it, and and you know, he as a you know sleazy, almost Steve Buscemi uh, type character worked. It's just I don't know. There's something about him, or maybe it was like his Five O'clock Shadow that just like didn't feel like the era to me. Uh, and it, it kind of like I stood agree with out that in that sense. Yeah, but I do like in general. I think he's funny, um, but he is always playing now Roman. Yeah, uh, from. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, from succession. Like like, I, I feel like you know, talk about mergers and acquisitions and shit. Exactly. Uh, I, I feel like that that that's coming out in him. But I, I'm assuming that you know he was cast be, probably because of that. You know, and like he's in that role because that that's how he could deliver mm-hmm. it. Um, but I, I do agree with you because everyone else, and like you said, Bill Duke, right down to Bill yeah. Duke, fit right within the 1950s. And Bill Duke, when he makes his appearance as Aldrich, uh, yeah. Uh, Watkins. When I saw his name pop up in the credits, I'm like, Bill Duke. <laughs> I got so excited. Like, I'm like, hell yeah. Um, but, you know, that's just me, like, loving Predator and everything else that he's done, Commando and all right. that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this film. I, I thought that this was an excellent one that was one of those films that I had no idea what how this was going to resolve by the end of the movie or until the end of the movie. And until you find out really what's going on from, again, Matt Damon's care cameo that pops right, up out of nowhere right. again, 
Um, you know, this, it's funny that this movie really is is about the catalytic converter being added to automobiles in the 50s. Or being withheld from them, yes. Or being withheld from being added to yeah. automobiles, right? Because who cares about pollution and all that? Fuck it. Um, it's very much kind of like a film noir, um, and, it, and it had a lot of this, um, the sort of feeling you get in film noirs where, you know, as you're sort of working your way up the criminal ladder, it gets sort of closer and closer to more sort of legitimate enterprises, like, you know, or at least right. what is perceived as legitimate. Uh, but those legit biz- businesses are also like even more criminal. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just like, it's just that you, you don't recognize them as, as, as that. And it, it, it's very film noir. Yeah. They end up with more money at the end than they were in for at the beginning. Right, right, right. They got like two extra bags of money out right. of it. Right, well, and, and it's like, you know, in, in some of those uh, speeches, which are maybe a little didactic uh, from Matt Damon, you know, he 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 does sort of express that like, look, uh, you know, we uh, we run this shit and, you know, you, you guys are way out of your depth type of thing. And, you know, you, you kind of see a lot of those like tendrils and those influences, like uh, sort of a, a much bigger picture and like how, you know, when he's talking about like that, you know, how did how did you get to me or whatever? Like, you know, there's so many little steps in between. And as I was saying with the, like the criminal ladder thing, it's like, you know, you're just like the further and further you go up, like you you keep seeing how, uh, there's sort of no one honest, uh, in between there. And everyone is, uh, is, is all very crooked all the way up. It's just that, you know, it gets a lot more respectable, uh, you know, in, 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 in public circles or whatever. Even, even Ray Liotta's wife, turned on Benicio del Toro, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I, I want to talk about the, some of the kills in this movie, as you know, I love some of the kills. This movie had some of the, the best cut and shocking kills that come out of nowhere mm-hmm. and are so quick and fast, you know, it's like, boom, they're done. Um, but they're just so brutally violent yeah. too. Um, but again, it, it kind of adds to that, I, I guess, quirkiness, dark comedy of, of the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Cause th- there's a little bit of like almost punchline, uh yeah like sort of energy to it it's like you know especially when you know like ray Liotta gets wasted uh he, he walks up the stairs <laughs> like he starts in the, in the middle of yelling no 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 like, <laughs> you know gone but okay even ray Liotta as as a sort of a small sort of uh thankless role in this like he he was like spot on as, as that character awesome and he was great constantly like you as the audience are never on sort of level ground you're, you're always things are like shifting sands all the time and it's like you know you, you don't know what this person's up to what that person's up to if, like anyone's being honest or whatever um this is definitely one of those things where it's like uh steven soderbergh's in this point in his career where he's uh and i, and I think he talks about this he's at this point where he doesn't want to do move uh, films anymore he wants to do movies and it's like this is definitely more of the movie, and it's it's there for thrills and chills, and uh, and it's just you know there to be kind of like fun. What's the difference? Yeah, exactly. The well, film? it is a difference, but I I I don't know that I would necessarily make some of those distinctions. But like the way I take that to mean is like that he you know would give the movies you know sort of more depth or uh, you know something more to chew on character wise in a film and in a movie it's like oceans is 11 is a movie right it's like you know there's only so it's a ride you know much depth we're gonna get out of this right it's like yeah this is a ride this is like let's have fun um let's have the audience cheer and be surprised and be thrilled and and all these other things and um let's not uh you know spend too much time 
getting the audience uh, emotions all riled up, like where, where they're feeling something for these characters. And it it feels like this one is definitely in that that uh, that movie versus film camp. Although, like it does, you know, try to do a couple things that uh, that seem outside of being a thriller, like the relationship with uh, the David Harbor character and the um, the Amy Simmons character, their relationship, like their son, there was a lot of stuff like kind of like we're, we're spending time with that, but it, it doesn't really uh, give us much uh, to, to go off of. It's like, you know, in a different movie, the uh, their son and, and his story could be interesting in a different movie, their, you know, marital troubles uh, getting worked out or not getting worked out could also be interesting but that wasn't really part of this movie. And, you know, so when you get to the scene where it's like, uh, you know, it's kind of a punchline about like, oh, it's just Tuesday or whatever. Yeah. It's funny and all, but like, you know, it, it felt like that could have, uh, if you're going to have that there, like, okay, well, let's have that be a little more poignant. The version of Steven Soderbergh, who was uh, into making films uh, in his terms, would have threaded that needle a little better to like have that, have more poignancy. Um. You know, if you think of the last line of Sex, Lies, and Videotape, for instance, it looks like it's going to rain. It is raining, right? It's like things like that where, you know, characters say these sort of loaded statements and it gives them a, gives the audience an insight as to what the, the characters are, are going through or are thinking or feeling. Um, you know, we're not really getting a whole lot of that here. Uh, and even, I mean, ostensibly the movie's kind of Don Cheadle's movie his character in any way i would say yeah but then again definitely starts and ends with him it's like how much do we know about this guy i mean he's got a farm Not somewhere much. uh i can't remember was it in kc or something uh and he's uh wants to go buy it back uh and why and where and how and it, some of these things it's just like okay well we don't really know but speaking of kansas city how interesting was the sort of kansas city confidential connection oh with like the masks in the very beginning yeah so much like old (laughs) old school uh halloween masks yeah Yeah. almost like sort of uh you know batman and robin i mean it 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 didn't go all the way down over the mouth the way it did in kansas city confidential but like it looked like it was that same sort of leathery uh material yeah exactly and uh but the first time you see it is pretty shocking because it's like Harbor like comes or, or his wife yes, or somebody comes right, around right, the corner right, right. and like gets a gun in his face. But then you see that face right, right. at odd mask. <laughs> right. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Well, and, and then also like everyone going in on the job, they weren't supposed to know each other. Uh, also like, yeah, City exactly. The Reservoir Dogs yeah. and Kansas City. Maybe yeah. the movie should have been called Motor City Confidential. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because no sudden move. Yeah. What, what is that? Refer to? I I don't know. I was I was hoping you would have an answer for me. I was going to ask that question. No, to I, you. I I was. <laughs> nope. That was one of my notes. Was that uh, I was wondering, you know, if you had any thoughts on where the the title came from. You know, I, I I really don't know. There's nothing really sudden about this. I mean, the kills are pretty sudden, and there's some things that happen mm. suddenly in this. Um, however, I don't I I don't see the you know the reason for the title. Yeah, it, it's not as if making quick decisions or sudden moves would somehow change the outcome. I, I know, it's like, it, it was like, I don't know. It's like, 
nothing was calculated in the movie so like people were just going off the seat of their pants and but i i don't know yeah it it the, the title um it seems a mystery motor city confidential that that's my title for it and yeah and then live die repeat yeah. and <laughs> Any which way but loose or kill or whatever it's called. Yeah, that thing. Any which way but kill. What was also surprising, I think, and we didn't really talk about it, was uh, Benicio Del Toro's character. It's like, you know, okay, you don't know anything about him, except uh, I guess he was in the auto industry at one point, and now he's kind of a bag man and and all these things. Right. Um, Like an exec, right? Wasn't he kind of high up? It must have been if he was running in the same circles that the Matt Damon character is running in. Right. Um it's sort of just this like uh, little piece in the background, this little little sort of you know you know hanging uh, you know sort of dangling thread that you're just like okay maybe there's something there, but it it didn't end up going anywhere at least that I uh, could surmise. But just his performance overall, like you know he, his like he's so still a lot of times, and you know like you, you could just really feel that there's a lot going on bubbling beneath the surface type of thing, and. I felt that way about a lot of the, the actors and a lot of the characters in this one, where it's like there's, feels like there's a lot going on, even though there's not a lot explored. Just based on their performances. Just on the performances, exactly, and 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 how yeah. they would sort of carry themselves. And I, I think, if no sudden move was paired with uh, way of the gun and snatch, as I proposed earlier, um, I think there'd be a lot to compare with his character in way of the gun in way of the gun. But, you know, I, I find that like in way of the gun, they have sort of a philosophical approach to things and like um, things to chew on and, and sort of the, a lot of the different themes that are running through it. Um, this one, it felt like it, it was going for a little bit of that, but didn't want to commit to it because, okay, let's stay in movie territory. Let's not go into film territory, you know? So you, you kind of get, snatch let's have fun type of uh ensemble film but it wasn't as fun as like snatch you know what i mean so it, 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 it right. didn't go all the way to like okay well i don't have to know too much about turkish or any of these other characters because it's <laughs> just there to be fun right like th- this yeah. one um felt like it was asking some of that of the audience and like having to consider like wh- you know what it means to have these uh you know a- oppressive evil you know, too big to fail corporations like ruling over all of us. The I- idea of uh, gentrification and redlining and all these other things that they were bringing up in the movie. Not to mention just like how a lot of these relationships people were in were, were sort of very cynical, but you didn't quite understand them. And you know, it's like was that going somewhere? Or was it not? The John Hamm character in particular. I mean, just like the most cynical person. It's like you know, he's he's there like. I'm here to quote unquote enforce the law, and like then he's just like he's there to be a bag man, a bag man that takes no cash from it. Yeah, he, yeah. He <laughs> well, he was just there. He, he was do some money. Yeah, he he didn't skim anything off the top. He's a very loyal bag man, uh, right? And uh, you know, does his uh, his job really well. But that level of cynicism in the movie like wasn't necessarily played for irony the way that sometimes those things were done irony and snatch or whatever where it's like uh you know it it didn't end with sort of that that punchline button the way that you know snatch did anything to declare yeah don't go to england (laughs) (laughs) it's fun i i ended up uh seeing this one in the in the theater uh nice uh was interesting like I think there's only one theater in L.A. playing it, according to the writer, anyway. Uh, 
this is uh, the only theater, I guess, in the country playing it. <laughs> Limited, yeah. huh? Because HBO Max. Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's like, what, some kind of like awards consideration? They have to play it there maybe put it in a theater yeah because i'm i'm i was gonna say i was gonna bring that up as um i mean i wanted to know your opinion is uh, i mean obviously i think don Cheadle is going to be nominated for this one he was he was outstanding in yeah. this and he didn't it didn't feel like don Cheadle to me his whole voice his whole posture right, and everything right. was completely different um i i, I wouldn't be surprised if at benicio as well yeah i mean i like i said i i felt like almost all of the actors in this like Gave really, really great performances. Um, It'd be nice to see Brendan Fraser up there because um, if he gets recognized for this, because <laughs> yeah. I honestly I thought he was really, really he, excellent. Yeah, he really was kind of stand out. He he had kind of a yeah uh, a scene stealing or, or kind of like a show stealing, you know, presence in the movie. It was interesting. Most definitely. I think in in terms of just all these movies and how they come together, it it, it was pretty fun to kind of see those sort of aspects of detroit i mean obviously that's uh well uh established territory for both i guess don Cheadle and uh, steven soderbergh they they were in uh detroit and uh in out of sight especially for the, the 20th century and like how much detroit uh was one of those cities that kind of you know uh held sway in people's minds i feel like there's not a whole lot of movies that really explore that and like you know Perhaps uh, something like Eight Mile would have, uh, you know, fit a little better. I guess just in terms of um, spending more time in in the uh, in in the city. But like, you know, part of the idea of this block in particular was to kind of like focus on on thrillers. And I think you know our discussion of you know between film and movie, No Sudden Move and Don't Breathe, uh, are definitely more of the movie side. I, I feel like Narc, even though most of it's there for thrillers, and especially the way it sort of just cuts to black and ends it, it it's playing up the, the thriller part of it but there's a lot uh i feel like more going on there and stuff to chew on uh thematically and everything else that maybe it kind of edges into the film uh you know categorization uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. side of things um but still you know it was, it was very very thrilling and it was interesting to kind of like see um that world portrayed uh, in, in the sort of, I don't know what, maybe kind of a third tier city, um, American city in, in, in the like popular culture's minds, you know, it's like, you know, there's sort of New York and LA, it's like up there. And then like, after that, it's like, you know, you get to like, you know, San Francisco and I don't know what, uh, New Orleans and, and Philly and Chicago. Right. But then sort of the next uh, tier down, I think is, is somewhere like places like Detroit or whatever. Where it's like, you know, Places people have heard of, but maybe if, if they're not from there or from around there, like they don't know much about. And it's it is always fun to like have a set of movies like kind of like embody a, a time and place there, and and have the city be kind of a character. And I, I think in in all three of these, at least um, that part was accomplished, where you you felt like the the city was a part of it. Absolutely. So we talked about Motown thrillers. Uh, that's Narc from two thousand two, Don't Breathe from two thousand sixteen. And No Sudden Move from 2021. Next week, we're going to be doing uh, a block of atypical vampire films. These are vampire films that don't fall within the, I guess, traditional thoughts of vampires and Dracula and Transylvania, etc. We're going to be talking about Near Dark from 1987, 
A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, Ooh, 2014. Mouthful. That's a tough yeah. one to say. I can't it's, <laughs> I even get that one out. And What We Do in the Shadows from 2014. I'm so excited to watch uh, What We Do in the Shadows again, and I'm so happy that this is going to be the first time you've seen it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's oh, great. I, I yeah. haven't seen either of the two movies uh, from the uh, 2000s. I, I've only seen Near Dark in this in this set here. I have not seen Near Dark. <laughs> okay, well, there you um, go. I've seen an... I've seen enough near dark though, like in clips and stuff, that that I feel like I've already seen it. Uh, finger licking good, <laughs> uh, but other than that, uh, I I haven't seen it all the way through. A girl walks home alone at night. I I, I did see, um, but it's going to be good to revisit that one. And what we do in the shadows is one of my regular rotation films. Um, I will watch that at any nice. time. Um, plus the series that spawned off of it, and then there's another spinoff series that also spun <laughs> off of that one. Uh, that I'm watching, so it's all it's all great. That's funny. Yeah, it, well, it, it'll be fun, and and I think uh, in terms of like maybe tackling vampire movies, it it'll be an interesting way to to look at them in a in a slightly different lens. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. I haven't seen uh, two out of three of them, so nice. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us to get noticed. Thanks so much, everybody. We will be back next week. Ciao. Don't get confused thinking that this is about Calvess. I know it's not. This is all politics. This is political appointments, it's referendums, it's squashing a race riot. You think those assholes upstairs give a shit and a shake about Michael Calvess? They didn't know him, they don't care about him, and they can't forget about him fast enough. The only thing you need to know about me is that I'm gonna bag the motherfuckers that killed Mike. If that means breaking every point of procedure, then they're broke. It's because his life was worth a little bit more than a wreath and a rifle salute. Understand? That's just me.